I'm going to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter 3.14, 17 and 18 are our text verses. The Psalm for the New Year, 3.14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable risk as they do all the other scriptures to unto their own destruction ye therefore beloved seeing ye know these things before beware lest ye also being led away uh, with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be glory both now and forever amen spread the other please and most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for the privilege You give us again that we might gather in Thy name and that we might open Your book and, and the Word of Truth and look therein that we might read from the Word that You've given us that we be those that grow in wisdom and knowledge of the truth and never be static, but they'll always be growing. And we look to Thee that You'd bless us this morning, uh, this afternoon, and we look for thy return and all things you may be magnified and glorified. In Jesus' name I praise thee and thank thee and for his sake. Amen. It is a time to reflect on the past and uh, when we think about a new year, uh, people start things. You know, they say, well, now on Monday I'm going to start this or first of the month I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And, and so we kind of use time to set our goals for certain things and a lot of people make New Year's resolutions, and sometimes they pan out, and sometimes they don't. And but we're to, if you will, be those that look for the truth, search for the truth, grow in truth, and wisdom and knowledge, and be careful uh, that we not be scattered to and fro or uh, fall off, if you will, in some weird and false doctrines. And and uh, there's a lot of them out there, and sometimes they, some of them seem to be good for a time, and we might get distracted and might go off the path for a time and then uh, by God's grace come back. But the time that we're off the reservation, we must often do much damage in our reputation to the church and our family and those around about us. And so when we find a new doctrine or a new thing, that we need to be very careful because there's those out twisting the Word of God. And <clears throat> they're out... Uh, uh, brother, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Brother Glenn was speaking about someone he knew that on you know, the flat earth thing, and of course it's not something new, but uh, it's a deviation, it's a false truth, if you will. They call it truth, and it's false. Yeah. And, uh, and so these doctrines are all around us. <clears throat> I get emails with someone's found some new light. And uh, usually it's not new. Usually it's just rehash of something that's gone on before. But as saints, we're to set goals for not just the New Year's, but every day of our life, that we might be the people we ought to do and 
that we, by the grace of God, go into all truth, not be uh, deviated, not deviated, if you will, from word of truth, to be enriched with uh, <clears throat> with the heavenly riches, and that we might grow in Christ. And uh, if you're not growing, you're sitting still or going backwards. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I used to hear older preachers say, "Well, I'm still growing and learning," and I thought, "Well." You've been in the ministry 40 years. Looked like you'd know about everything was there. Uh, <clears throat> but God is beyond our comprehension. Yeah. And we continue to grow and we continue, if you will, in the word of truth. And then we'll find new things that we hadn't seen before that are new uh, nuances, if you will, like uh, putting curtains in the window you knew the basic truth and then put a little curtains around it, a little trimming that you uh, conceive or you understand it much greater than you used to do. And so all these things is the we're to continue to grow. And when you can understand God fully, then you've grown as much as you can grow. Uh, but that is something that these finite minds can never reach. And there uh, we think about that we're to uh, not be sanitary in our uh, faith, not if you will, uh, sitting on the Bible or sitting in the pew, but we're to be uh, active about the things of God and then the Word of God. And uh, I, I've made a practice of reading through the Word of God every year. Uh, sometimes I think, well, you've done that last year. I mean, it's time maybe to you know do what they had, go through a topic or something like that. And uh, but nonetheless, I started this morning. And I thought, no, <clears throat> I'm going to read it through again, and I find that as I read it again, some things I've let drop, you know, in your mind, You, and then it comes back into focus, and some things that <clears throat> become unclear, but God clears it up for you, and he always has what you need. Uh, I've been reading the Bible through these 30-some-odd years, and, and I find out that as I go through, some things are brought to remembrance that I've dropped, lost, or memories fail me or whatever and then other things this seem like a new revelation from God or an old revelation made new and it says but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him be glory both now and forever amen Second Peter 3.18 and we're going to spend the rest of our time with, with the Lord so we should know all we can know about him so they said well we're going to have perfect knowledge when we get there but he tells us to grow here, and we're going to walk with the Lord in the street of gold and, and all the things that songs are made up, but we don't know what all that means, but we know it to be a wonderful and perfect life, and we'd uh, be more concerned with that which is to come than that which we're living now, and we are to, uh, <clears throat> there's a basis, if you will, in setting goals, and that is for the coming year. If you don't have a goal, then you're going backwards. If you, if you just like reading your Bible through, you set a goal to read your Bible through, and sometimes you get things come in where you have to let it go for a time and have to come back and catch it up or whatever, but it is something that we set to do that we're going to go forward and not backwards during the year. We look to God to send us revival, that he revive his people, and I think about our country and how many people claim to be Christians and all that we would recognize by their statement of faith that they, maybe not a church, but if they believe, then they 
are they're Christians and and we need a revival across the land and it seems like we like the Jews of old they kind of got sedentary they got set in their if you will in their place and in their doctrine and uh, there wasn't any room for anything else and we need to give, be careful that we don't get into that the wicked is always busy they they are unstable they're lawless they're unsettled uh, they twist the word of God and they distort statements to make it come out with a false result when it should be true and true result when it's supposed to be false. And they're very cunning about using the scriptures. And I was sitting down with a particular preacher, and this been years ago, and he was troubled because of different things he'd read and all this, that, and the other. And there's a particular uh, preacher on the radio. I can't remember his name now, but he said, well, it seemed like what he's telling me. I said, well, let's just look at it. And one of the doctrines, and I can't even remember what it is now, we just, well, I think it was Philippians, I said, let's read the chapter through, and I said, well, let's read the next chapter through, and I said, let's read the next one through, and time we got through the book of Philippians, we proved everything this guy was teaching was false. And the point I'm making, usually they take a scripture out of context, make it a pretext, and then we fall for the pretext when we should read the whole thing, and usually you can find it in the same chapter. Just like this morning, we look at the Roman road. If a person would take the 8th verse and the 14th verse, a lot of that stuff, repeat after me and say this sinner's prayer, would be out the window. Uh, but they don't read those parts. And uh, the Word of God always, if you will, reveals the air and heresy that people come up with and usually, I found most time, usually reading the chapter that they uh, got their uh, heretical teaching from, and sometimes the whole book, <clears throat> that you can find the error pretty easy. Uh, because, uh, if you will, they're just centering on uh, one particular word, or this particular word, or that particular word, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> Divine injunction with a special direction, growing grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, verse 18 again. And what is this growing grace? Uh, grace is a gift God gives us. It is not something that we earn. And yet, we're to grow in grace. And how do you grow in grace? Well, <clears throat> grace for grace, as it mentions in uh, John, the first chapter, and that as we grow in grace, we get more grace. So it's grace for grace. And uh, what it means is you use what God's given you, He gives you more. And then you use that, He gives you more. But if you're sitting over here on this, and you're just stationary, and you're sitting on that, then the next chapter is not there. The next part is missing. And the way we grow in grace, we use what grace God gives us. Then we, He gives us more grace, we use that, and continue on until... We meet Him in glory. And so we grow in grace. Sometimes we take back steps and we need to recover, but it still is growing in grace and the wisdom and knowledge of the truth. We can grow as the Spirit of truth quickens us. And, and uh, when uh, God saved me, He didn't open up my head and pour it all in. Uh, I thought He had because at one time I had reached sinless perfection. I was perfect and 
I knew everything there was. I didn't even think there was any need to come to the second semester because I had I, arrived. And, uh, and so one night I went to sleep and I had this dream. And, and on that dream, you know, just, just like a, somebody was sitting there and said, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I woke up the next morning. I didn't know if I was saved or not. I mean, <clears throat> I you know, was a fool, if you will. It's like I was sitting in a room, and I knew everything in the room, and then you open the door, and there it is. I mean, it's like looking at the sky at night. There's no limit to it. And so <clears throat> I pretty well picked up then that I was never going to reach it. I'm never going to know everything there was to know, and I knew that I was not, had not reached sinless perfection. I've met a lot of people in my life who have, and I mean by that they say they have, but I never had one that you couldn't just sit there and say, what about this? And yet to them, they have reached it. There was a, a deacon in the church, the first church I pastored, and he come up and he was saying, I preach, I don't know why you're talking about Christian sinning. He said, I've reached sinless perfection. I said, you have? Uh, and I said, you know what sinless perfection is? He said, what's that? I said, if Jesus Christ was in your situation, working, your, working where you work or having to support a family, that he would do everything that you do. And he looked at him as well... I don't think that would be so. He said, I've reached some perfection. I said, do you think Christ would be uh, smoking a cigarette, blowing smoke in the preacher's face? I mean, he's sitting there blowing smoke in my face. And I said, do you believe he would do that? And so he put it and said, well. I said, do you believe he'd be working at the brewery, <coughs> whiskey, making whiskey, down in the Owensboro there. They got a big, you know, and so... Oh, he said, I didn't know about that. I said, uh, and I just mentioned two or three other things, and he just walked away. He said, well, I'm saved. I said, I didn't ask that. I said, you're the one who said you reached sinless perfection. And usually it's so obvious to anybody that looks at a person that says they've reached it. You think to yourself, can't they look in the mirror and see that they have not reached sinless perfection? But we are to grow in the truth. We are to grow in righteousness, holiness, and Yes, we stumble, we fall, we pick ourselves back up with the grace of God. And He uh, is always there with loving arms, if you will, pull us in and gives the grace we need to see our sins and forgives us for that. And, and no matter how bad, how wicked they are, and, and He forgets them. And we're supposed to forget them if somebody's trespassed against us, but oftentimes we don't. We're to grow in, in, and uh, uh, let love grow and grow in us in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as, you, as you, we do toward you. And do we love everybody more this year than they did last year? I mean, that's a good thing about a new year. You can say, well, this is where I was last year. Now, how much have I improved this year? And, and we're to grow in love, and you notice it says particularly toward one another. We are to love the saints above all else, and we prefer one another. Scriptures clearly show that, and 
So we are to grow in love toward one another. We pray the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person, if you will, and if we pray the prayers that God gives to pray, then we have effect. We have power with God. And because He blesses that when we pray as He tells us to pray. And desired as Paul did live the resurrected life, he, his desire was to live the resurrected life, it was mentioned this morning, my brother Glenn, I think, and when we think about the resurrected life, what is that? Perfection! And Paul said, I press toward the mark, I go toward the prize, I'm trying to live and reach that perfect life, but I, I find I fell short, I have not obtained. He says, I want to apprehend for that which I was apprehended. And Christ apprehended us to be perfect. It would be godly. And at last, until we're with him in glory, we'll never obtain it. But did that stop Paul from pressing toward the mark? No. And they shouldn't disturb us, say, well, I can't reach it, so I might as well not even try. You know, and, and let me say to you, that's the way failure is. We can win some victories, and if we do it God's way, he'll bless us in it. And that's the most important thing, that he'll give us the grace that we need to do whatever he's called us to do. And as we grow in wisdom and knowledge, that we can see more perfectly what sin is. When God saved you, and you was repenting of your sins, or repented of your sins, did He show you everything in you that was sin? I had, it took me a long time to repent that night, because I, I, I was a good Pharisee. I, I hadn't reached sinless perfection, but I was his next door neighbor. And so I had a lot to repent of. And so I thought, well, I've repented of everything that I've ever done. So I thought, well, I'm in good shape. Then a little while longer, and I mentioned this before, God said, well, look about this. Now, that had been there all along. It was there when God saved me. And when I repented that night, when God convicted me and convinced me of my sin, that sin wasn't even brought up. But here it is. And then I find through my life, this is always, here it is. Some things we think we've, uh, if we would have got completely under a belt and we find out we don't. Sometimes you get your temper under control. So, well, I don't have any problem with that. Next thing you know, you lost your temper against a brother or sister in Christ, and you have to go home and repent about it, and then you have to go make it right with them. And, and here, you know, it's embarrassment and, and all that because if we ever get some kind of, sometimes we get lax in what we do. There in Galatia, Genesis 32, 10, the first part, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. And I mentioned this last Wednesday night. And that's one of the passage or verses or part of a verse, really, that's used, uh, I would have to, I say universally, but that, that just because I'm going from my perspective. But it is an important verse in the Bible. And if we think about it, it is that what God has given us, we're not worthy of any of. Uh, sometimes we think 
Well, I don't know why God's blessed them in this and blessed me and I don't get this or what. Let me say, you got more than you deserve. You're not worthy of anything that you received. I mean, God just gave it to you by grace. That's what grace is, a gift. And he didn't say, well, in order to get this gift, you know, you're going to have to do this, that, and the other. No. He just gives it to you. <clears throat> it's, it's free. It doesn't cost. The only thing that God requires is that we use what He gives us. We don't put it on a shelf somewhere and say, boy, that is really pretty grace there, and then close the closet door. No, we're to use it. Put it in use immediately um, that we might honor God. Contentment with godliness, 1 Timothy 6, 6-8, through 8, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we uh, brought nothing into the, this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. So what if we was Rockefeller? How much of you think that he took with him? Ten million? Million? Ten cents? It doesn't make any difference you got here. I know there's a, I, I think this is Texas kind of deal. You know, where they buried with their cars and buried with this, that, and the other, you know. I think to myself, what are they thinking? You, you can't get to heaven in a Cadillac. You just don't make it. And be content with what God has, has given us in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Be content with what a possession he gives us. In Hebrews, we'll turn there real quick. In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. If you're content with you with what you have, you don't have a big warner. If you're content with such things you have, you're not jealous of your neighbor who's got something you don't. I mean, if you're content with what you have, these will listen. I'm glad what I got. <laughs> if we're that way, then, if you will, then we will not be envious and jealous or all these other things that enter in because we don't, you know, we don't have what somebody else has. And we're going to have to get out there and get that. And we have to catch up with them and so on and so forth, but we can be content. We don't have to worry about any of that. Our growth is like plants and other things, you know, that grow. And they grow a little bit every day. And when you look at a plant out there sometime, you look at it, and it's maybe put out a leaf or something. Then the next day, maybe a two or three others. But when we look back and think of what it was a week ago, then we see it's got a lot of leaves on it. And as we reflect upon how we grow in grace and wisdom and knowledge, each day we might not even been <coughs> on the Richter scale, if you will. We not even can even put a mark that we've grown. But over the year we can see where God has blessed us and given us grace and we have grown. To cease to grow is to shoot out a new limbs of faith <coughs> is death. In other words, we instead of being life, they're death. They're in 15, John 15, 
I was going to read the first few verses. I am the true vine, and my father is the husband tree man. Husband, husband man. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit is taken away, and every branch that bears fruit he pruneth it, and that he may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, and this branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and, and withereth, withereth, and man gathereth them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So we're like that plant abiding in the vine. But some, some of those branches will be plucked off. They're not bearing any fruit. And it, I'm not a good gardener. <clears throat> so you could explain it better than I can. But when you go out, you know, you take out the suckers. I know about that because they <clears throat> inhibit the growth of the rest of it. So you take those suckers out and then you usually just cast them on the ground. And then there's uh, those uh, branches that don't seem like they're doing too good. And we think, well... And we'll cut them off so the rest of the plant be stronger. And, and so we go about a pruning and getting rid of the things that cause, uh, inhibits the growth, if you will, the plant. And that's the way God is. And it speaks of this that uh, those that abide in Christ are those that will bring forth fruit and that will flourish. In Ephesians 4.12, starting there, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body in Christ, till we all come in unity of the faith and of the, of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love by, may grow up into all things, which is the head, even Christ, from, <clears throat> from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual work in the measure of every part, make an increase of the body unto edifying itself in love. And I put in here in my notes, 1980. You know what was significant about 1980? <clears throat> From about 76 to 78, they started preaching the rapture was going to occur in September of 1980. You say, well, the wackles, all, you know, there's a lot of wackles in the world, preacher. And we know the Lord said, you'll not know the time. You'll not know the day. I mean, how many times did the Lord tell us that? And then in the book of Acts, the uh, disciples stand around, well, now is this the kingdom coming in? He said, this is laid in the Father's hand. <clears throat> they wanted to know when the time was. He said, don't worry about when that time, go out and work. Get busy. And carry the gospel throughout the world. That's what you be concerned about, but not that coming, and yet we are to look for the Lord Jesus. So what's significant about 1980? There's a sovereign grace preachers preaching that. 
and I and men that are respected. I wasn't like some loony tune over here somewhere nobody heard of pastoring some somewhere that nobody even heard of or the, and, and come up with some new doctrine he kind of no. These are well established preachers. I told one preacher he was coming to a conference there and I told him I said, Now brother I said, You better not preach in that foolishness in my pulpit. And he said, well, preacher, I don't know. I said, now, I know you respect, you know, the pulpit and the preachers and the church. I said, we don't want to hear it. Now, the reason I asked him that because he had preached it in another church at a conference. And, and so he respected that, and he did that. Now, he wasn't an ignorant man. He wasn't a foolish man. He had always been, if you will, as sound as sound can be. And yet he got led astray. That taught me a big lesson then. <clears throat> in 19, September, September 1980, this brother came to a conference in <clears throat> November 1980 and apologized to everybody for what he preached. Now, he was genuinely sorry, but he'd been caught up in that. In some way or another, he just knew it was so. The point I'm making, any of us can be led astray if we're not careful. We need to have certain standards in the Scriptures, and if you will, look to brothers and sisters in Christ to kind of keep us in line. They were not stray. Now, some other preacher, these Bible Baptists, so, you know, they're no good anyway. They were Bible Baptists. One of the Bible Baptist preachers there told them to go out and buy anything they wanted and let Antichrist make the payments. And so some of those people were foolish enough to go out and get things over their head, and some of them end up in bankruptcy because they weren't raptured out, and, and it was just a, a big mess. And these preachers, some of them, I thought were sound in what they believed. They little off on the church. And I couldn't figure in my mind, how can anybody, when Jesus says, you'll not know the date, say in September, and I forget what date it was, 1980. So this same writer that wrote that, after it didn't come in 1980, he said, uh, Lord's coming in 1985, I think. Anyway, it's 85, and then he starts setting up dates if he didn't come that time, then when he could come. First of all, the man was a heretic. Second of all, he didn't believe the truth. I mean, I... If somebody was going to tell me something, if it's a brother in Christ and one that I, that I respect, then I listen. But if I get something off the internet, I just look at it like, huh. I mean, I, everybody's always looking for new truth. What protects us is by growing in wisdom and knowledge continually from this. Not what somebody twists the scriptures and says and 
I showed the brother, I said, let me show you three scriptures. And all of them deal with you cannot know. Grateful thanksgiving for the glory to come. And to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Sometimes we're not grateful for what God's done for us. Sometimes we look at the bad times where we consider bad things. And we say, well, I don't know why God let that happen. I don't, I don't know why this happened. And I, I don't know why, you know, I thought I was living for God. And, you know, this happened and that happened. And, and all we're dwelling on is the negative things that happened. God hadn't promised you anything here. He hadn't promised you a home. He hadn't promised you a car. He hadn't promised you a, a good uh, a salary. He's promised you won't starve to death what he's promised. And he's promised you, that, as we read a while ago in Timothy, that you have garments. You'll have clothes to put on, and, and you'll have food to eat. That's all he's promised. He's promised to be with us, never leave us, nor forsake us. He's promised that. He promised to take us to glory. He's promised us that. But he hadn't promised you that you would outlive your spouse your, or your children would be without problems and so on. He hadn't promised none of that. A child of God and the children of God go through exactly what the children of the world does. We get cancers. Heart disease. Alzheimer's. I mean, you just take of any deadly thing you can think of, Christians get it all. Now, this body I've got here is of the world. Yeah, see? <clears throat> you can take and look at my body and tell you what this part is, and, you know, it's calcium, magnesium, or whatever it is. And they just break it down the elements, say you're worth 98 cents. Now, if you sell your parts now, this is worth a lot more. This body's going to wear out. Some die young, some die old. Some have what we consider a pretty good life, and others don't. It seems like tragedy is over their house. Somebody says, even like there's a black cloud over your house. But God will never bring anything into your life that He <clears throat> will not give you the grace to go through it. Sometime I found that out the hard way, <clears throat> but it is the truth that God's all, grace is always sufficient. He'll always bring you through. He'll always give you the grace you need to get through it. Does that mean that there's no tears down the line? doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean he'll give you comfort, give you the strength and power to get through it, and if you will, open the way that you can use what's happened to you to minister to others. <clears throat> when my daughter died, I could tell when people come down and, and they would talk to you, you could tell those that had suffered loss and those that hadn't. Those that suffered loss, had never suffered loss, they didn't even know what they're talking about. Those that suffer loss, there was an aid and help to you. The point I'm making is, is that <clears throat> we go through these things that we might give grace for grace, 
that we might take that grace which God has given us and that we might give it and share it with others. Then the amen of this passage, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I copied the following from Spurgeon. First, speaking about amen, first is a desire of the heart. Behold, I come quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. We say amen. At the end of prayer to signify, Lord, let it be so, and it is our harsh desire. Amen. Number two, but it is significant more than this. It means the affirmation of our faith. We only say amen to those things we really believe to be true. We add our, our we add our name to it, if you will, if it were as it were, to God's promise that we believe him and that he's as faithful and true. Three, but there is the yet a third meaning to this amen. And often it is often expressed the joy of the heart as you see King Jesus sitting upon the Mount Zion with death and hell beneath his feet. And as today you anticipate the glory of his advent as today you are expecting the time when you shall reign and uh, with him and ever, forever and ever does not your heart say amen. Lastly, it's sometimes used in scripture as a, an amen of resolution. It means I, in the name of the Lord, solemnly pledge myself that in, this, in his strength I will seek to make it so. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In verses 17 and 18, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the air of the wicked shall from your own fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So we'll be tempted to compromise the word of truth this year. We'll be tempted to fall into some kind of jealousy or envy or whatever it might. We're going to be tempted in all ways that God allows the devil to tempt us. And we must be prepared. And we're prepared by the grace of God.